mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Spoke Media. Not Sorry Productions. Hi, Vanessa. It's Matt. I am in Iceland, and believe it or not, you are still making me do your emotional labor. I have three kids, and I think you should be a mom. I know there are complications, and I know there are sound reasons not to bring a child into this world, but I believe that ordinary acts of love are what this whole sad, sweet, fleeting, lovely life are really all about. And you can have those moments with anybody, of course, but with your own child, your days would be just packed, and that your is specific. You'd pack them. You would be a great mom. Your kids would bring joy and justice to this world, and those are the kind of kids this world needs. Okay, I'm going back to my vacation. See you later this month. Bye. Sheila Hetty, in her memoir, Motherhood, wrote, Whether I want kids is a secret I keep for myself. It is the greatest secret I keep for myself. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Hot and Bothered. I asked my friend Olivia if she wanted to be part of Hot and Bothered. I suspected she would say no because she was particularly busy in this moment of her life, in the middle of a move, a job search, utter chaos. So I was honored when she said yes. I asked what trope she wanted to do, and she said secret baby without hesitating. The secret baby trope is usually a story of a couple who gets pregnant accidentally and out of wedlock. Often the man doesn't know about the baby for a while. There's confusion about paternity, hurt feelings, and misunderstandings abound. But at the end, there's a happy family unit. Man, woman, baby. That is the typical secret baby trope. Often the book ends with an epilogue when the woman is pregnant with their second on-purpose kid. So it's man, woman, 2.2 children, white picket fence. Secret baby romance novels are the beacon of heteronormativity. I got a follow-up email from Olivia a few days after she picked the secret baby trope, asking if her wife Molly could co-write the romance novel with her. I replied, of course. I'm really good friends with Molly. Like, Molly and I talk just as much as Olivia and I do. I was thrilled to have her. A few weeks after I gave the okay for Molly to be involved in the podcast, I emailed both Olivia and Molly to set up their first interview. And that was how Molly found out she'd been signed up to co-write a romance novel on the trope of Secret Baby. Molly talks first. So Olivia and I 
uh, almost two years ago, started trying to get pregnant. I was trying to get pregnant with a friend of ours who um, was, you know, our donor. Um, and he's one of my best friend's husbands, and they lived down the street from us in Cambridge. And we would go over to inseminate at their house, and then we would just, like, hang out and drink beer. <laughs> and it was really fun. And we always talked about how we were in a reality TV show called Insemination. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yes. I know. And I was always like, this is, like, what Republicans think gay people are doing right now is, like, inseminating each other and drinking Miller Lite and, like, being too liberal to even stand. <laughs> It involved um, a drum circle at one point. <laughs> of course it <laughs> yeah, did. It did. Yeah. It also involved a heartbreaking miscarriage. What is romantic about an accidental pregnancy? Even intentional pregnancies are far from perfect. They involve sickness, anxiety, at the bare minimum, swollen ankles. Like, what's dreamy romantic about having a parasite living inside of you who is one day going to blame you for all of their problems? Most pregnancies are far from ideal. But with the secret baby trope, the not ideal part is a given, and the payoff is a happily ever after. You get to imagine all of the complications with a not picture-perfect pregnancy, but it ends up happy. The insemination sticks, and a beautiful, healthy child is born to a loving pair of amazing moms. Molly and Olivia are trying to figure out how to make a family in a complicated situation, and I get that. Shortly after the miscarriage, Olivia and Molly moved across the country, changed jobs, and their insemination parties became a logistical impossibility. So that chapter is closed for now, um, and we are on the verge of becoming foster parents. Foster parenting. Applications, home visits, inspections, letters of reference. There's nothing accidental or secret about it. There also aren't any drum circles. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why the secret baby uh, thing appealed to me, because we've had such a like rough go at trying to build a family that, like, the idea of, like, having a secret baby just sounds, like, awesome but, like, so <laughs> ridiculous yeah. um, because there's so much, um, I don't know, there's just so much planning and logistics and yeah. emotional upheaval that goes. And that whole that, thing that straight people say, and even, like, straight people have said to us, like, just, like, relax and it'll happen. And it's like, um, <laughs> that will have to be some very interesting relaxation. <laughs> I've never relaxed in that Relax way. your body so much that sperm, that sperm from drips the, into your vagina. <laughs> from the From surrounding. the universe. <laughs> This is obviously a very personal trope for Molly and Olivia. And so they really early on in the process knew that the characters were going to basically be versions of themselves. And they thought that their fictional version of Molly was going to be a woman who's in relationship with another woman, but still gets pregnant in a really easy, maybe magical way. Like when we think about like how hard it is for us to like try to get pregnant because of the lack of sperm. I think about, like, all of the, like, gross couches I sat on in really gross gay bars in New York City <laughs> and how much sperm was probably on those couches. And I'm like, I just want to reach back through the time-space continuum and 
get some of that sperm. So maybe I could accidentally get secret baby <laughs> pregnant by like sitting on a couch. Um. Okay, so the characters are going to be based on the two of you, but roughly, different, roughly, Ru- I- ish. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we should. We're gonna. We know it's going to be somewhat autobiographical because we're playing with these themes that have been important to us in our relationship, and because this could be a romantic thing for us to do together to write this <laughs> romance novel. So it's going to be like the nesting dolls, where there's just layers and layers and layers. So you have like two to three months to write 10,000 words, a romance novella about a secret baby in which there's going to be some magical realism. It's going to be based a little bit on your lives. What is that process going to be like for you to to collaborate, write something? My vision all along when I realized like, oh, we could do this together and like make it autobiographical in a way, my vision was like one of those things you do in like fourth grade where like you write a sentence and then the other person writes a sentence and then you write a sentence, but like more like I'm going to flesh out like the first thousand words and then Molly's going to kind of pick up and we're each going to be like the Poisonwood Bible. I love that. Yeah. I mean, to me, the point of a romance novel is that because, because you don't have to worry about the central thing because you know you're definitely going to spend time with two characters you care about, and they are definitely going to end up okay and in love. It's like being on a roller coaster that has been proven by the Queen of England to be safe. Okay. Oh, my God. That sounds so appealing. So, right? essentially, this is our—this is the bread and butter of our life right now is that we have this, like, deep desire to be parents. Like, that is really— it's, like, occupies so much of our, like, mental, emotional energy of, like, this longing that we have and, you know, all the complications that come with that. But also, like, the hopes and the joys and the dreams, et cetera, et cetera. And our process primarily, even though we don't always succeed at it, is to try to, like, keep the bigger picture in mind that, like, no matter what happens and no matter how we, like, have a baby or grow our family, like, we're going to be okay at the end of the day. Like, we're going to, like— quote unquote, right, live happily parents. ever after because we're like, we're, we have friends that will like laugh at us about the suffering of life and we can do that with each other. And okay, that was really helpful for me in my yeah, me framing too. of of romance novels. I know, because I just kept thinking about like bodice ripping and I was like, I don't, that's like not a part of my life. <laughs> it can be if you want, baby. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay. Hi, Vanessa. It's Teddy. It's Teddy. It's not nice to have a kid. Why? Because it's just not a nice. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. The secret Molly and Olivia have around babies is how they will get one. The secret I have around babies is not knowing whether I want one. And here's the thing. There's no expert to turn to on this one. I can ask my friends, and I do, all the time. It's charming, not annoying. But there's no right answer, and everyone has a different opinion. I like that, though. Lots of different opinions, lots of data points. No matter what I decide, someone I love will agree with me. My best friend refuses to tell me what she thinks. We texted about it, and she said, I love you more than anything, but cannot weigh in on your baby dilemma. I wrote, I think I'd be good at it, and I think I'd love it. I just think it might kill me a little bit. And she wrote, yes, that's the conundrum. Whether I want kids is a secret I keep from myself. It is the greatest secret I keep from myself. Olivia, Molly, and I tried scheduling and rescheduling for our second recording time, but their lives got busy. Eventually, we got on the phone, and it turns out that there was a really good reason that they had been difficult to nail down. Well, I guess the newest, it's not that new anymore. It's a few months old news, but we we became foster parents. It happened. We have a baby. Well, he was 10 months old when he was dropped off and started walking two weeks later. Yeah. So we, like, went from, like, zero baby to, like, baby who is... um, A toddler. A toddler and, like, ready to take on the world. And we had to very quickly, like, make sure our outlets were covered and all of that. Yeah. Um, He... We thought that we had baby-proofed our house, and he helped us realize that we had not. But, no, I think what's interesting to me, or, like, one thing I've realized through this is, like, I never thought that getting a foster child was going to, like, solve the problem once and for all of, like, how are we going to build our family? So it's like, he's here. We're happy to, like, have him. You know, we're happy to have whatever kind of relationship we can and and hope that will evolve in a really good way. And we still have the family building question is still very Yeah, there's not a lot of permanence. Like, there's not a lot of permanence right now in our situation with him. So it doesn't. I don't know. I still feel like a lot of our conversations as a couple are still geared at like, okay, so right now this is what we're doing and we're like so delighted with it and it's very meaningful and we're still kind of thinking globally like, do we want to try to get pregnant again? Like, do we want to adopt a baby like through a private adoption? Like, do we want to take another foster kid? Like, it's possible that we could get called at any time. Like, literally, they could call us right now. So if we like, have another, another kid. Better. So it's it's always, like, this just... Yeah. Hello, Vanessa. This is Rachel. And I have one child. 
a three-year-old. And I'm calling to tell you that I don't think that I can tell you if you should or shouldn't have a kid because I don't think really anybody can tell any other person that because having a kid is such a complicated and personal decision and there are so many wonderful things about it, about how joyous it is and how much love you can feel for a little person, but there are also so many extremely complicated things about it and it is hard to work and have a kid and it is hard to have mental health issues and have a kid and I know both of those things from experience. So there's my completely useless <laughs> opinion on whether you should or shouldn't have a kid. My answer is yes, you either should or shouldn't. Okay, love you. Bye. The first question is how does having bumpers, how does having this baby in our life impact how we're feeling about the, the about. fact that we're writing this secret baby trope? Do you want to? I think that like the first time that we talked, I definitely was like yearning to be pregnant. And I think that having a secret baby trope, I was going to be able to like live out my dream through the secret baby trope. <laughs> but now I feel really a lot less of a yearning to want to be pregnant, which um, I guess it'll, it remains to be seen how that on, if that changes the way the story unfolds for me. Um, I think it maybe actually might give me a little bit more freedom within the trope. Um, cause I'm not like trying to fulfill a desperate need <laughs> through a novella Living vicariously <laughs> yeah. through, your through my character, character in the yeah. or as I'm doing living vicariously through my friends who now have a baby. It wasn't as easy as sitting on a couch. It involved zero relaxing. They don't know if it'll be a happily ever after because they do not know if they will be allowed to keep the baby. And they're actually really good people who are rooting for the baby's mom to get well enough to take her baby back away from them. But they're still working their way toward a family and writing their way toward a happily ever after. Hi, Vanessa. I have two kids. They are almost three and almost one and a half. So they keep me very busy. Um, I, okay, so here's the thing. I think... That it's hard to answer whether I think you should have kids, but my gut feeling is that you have a very busy career and you make a big impact on a lot of people. Having kids, and I take this from experience, even for a job that you don't care that much about, which in your case is not the case, um is a huge distraction. And full-time care for your kids is expensive. And at the end of the day, you're going to feel like you're missing out on spending time with them. So it's a constant push and pull. And I feel like um, with your current situation, you kind of get the best of both worlds where you have a lot of interaction with kids. And you also get to balance that with your work um, without feeling uh, guilty on either end. So. Um, that's my two cents, I guess. I think the biggest issue is that uh, the work-life balance is just challenging. For example, I spent an hour researching laxatives for my very picky toddler today um, instead of doing work. So, 
it is constantly eating away at my work day and I work full time. So anyway, I love you and I will see you on Sunday. Bye. Olivia and Molly decided that their two characters would write letters to each other. One of them, Olivia's character, would be a gender non-conforming firefighter who was off west dealing with a raging fire. Molly's character was going to be a scientist, homesteading, planting seeds while Olivia is off dealing with destruction. When Molly's character has a miscarriage, it, well, it doesn't quite break them apart, but it's caused such great grief in their relationship that they aren't quite together either. What we get to read as their romance novel is the letters that they are sending back and forth to each other from across the country as the fire burns. In our second interview, Olivia had already done some writing, but Molly hadn't read it yet. Molly read us some of it. All right, now I feel a little flustered. Okay, Midge girl, do you remember the time you were driving me from Maine to Wyoming? The first summer I came out here to work and we stayed the night at the Red Roof Inn, even though it seemed sketchy. And even though they made us sign our name in that leather bound book at the front desk, like we were at a wedding or a funeral instead of a divey but good enough hotel. Olivia had written about the pain of watching other people get pregnant on their first try, about the resentment of even fictional characters' ability to get pregnant when she and Molly had spent so much time and money and anguish trying to get pregnant and then losing the baby. How much money do you think we've spent on fertility stuff? How much time and stress and fights and love lost and timelines redacted and ditched altogether? I'm getting worked up thinking about it. Why am I taking this so seriously? It's not that serious. I love you and you are gorgeous. And maybe that little girl in the movie is right. And faith is not what the eye can see or whatever, but something deeper or or wider or less contingent. By the way, do you think fire is alive? I can't with I can't with her. She just like wrote this. She's like a freaking genius. Thank you. I'm just gonna tell you we got in a fight this morning because Olivia was being a butthead. She'll agree with me. And then I'm like, oh, Olivia's so annoying. And then like I read this and I'm like, oh my god, I get to be married to Olivia. I'm winning. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> One of the things that Molly and Olivia's story is grappling with in a very live way is climate change. Olivia chose to make her character a firefighter, inspired by all of the fires that were burning up California in 2018. And in order to deal with the fact that any baby they brought into this world would come out onto scorched earth. Do you know that there are grief support groups for people who are deciding not to have kids because of global warming? and anxiety support groups for people who have kids and read the climate reports? Do you know that the seas are rising and the malaria rates are rising and parts of the world are currently facing plagues and that those plagues are coming for us? Do you know that California, where I'm from, and Massachusetts, where I live, are both at risk for floating away? Yes, you do. You absolutely know all of those things. Hi, Vanessa. It's Rosie. I have a three-year-old and a three-week-old. I'm going to say to you, do it. The reason I say that is because I have all the same concerns as you about whether to have a baby or not. And honestly, I think if the Brexit vote and Trump's presidency had happened before I conceived my first daughter, I may have 
checked out altogether and not done it because I feel so bleak about the future of the entire planet, frankly. But because I have my two children now, I can't check out. I have to stay engaged. I have to stay vested in the future. I kind of don't want to be some of the time, but they give me a reason to fight. So for that reason, I think you should give it a try. It will be very, very hard. But hard things make great art, and you make great art. So that's my advice. Love you. Bye. Olivia and Molly got a second foster child. I got zero inches closer to knowing if I wanted a first child. And we got on the phone again. Okay, this is what I was thinking about preparing for us to talk to you. It's like this funny thing where the writing project that we embarked on that is so deeply like invested in questions of infertility, family, how are we going to do this, you know, uncertainty and a little magical realism. And overpopulation and global warming. Yes. Well... I wouldn't say those questions in our lives have resolved themselves, but I would say the questions that we're asking now, like whatever, nine months into to being foster parents, the questions that we have were really different. So it's kind of interesting. I think that's part of the um, inertia around finishing is that we seems like we were in such a different place mm-hmm. emotionally and like creatively and spiritually when we started writing our novella and now it's kind of like do we want it to end in like the emotional space of where we were when we started it or do we want it to end in an emotional space that is like where we are now um can I say what I want to do yeah I still want to end it how we initially felt like we were going to end it and initially it felt like I was dealing with my grief through writing this And I still feel like I have grief, but I also don't have regrets about how our journey to parenthood has unfolded. So now I feel like writing the ending feels kind of like a fun exploration of a parallel universe and not what I wish had happened, where initially I think it was more of wishing that you know, we had had a biological baby, but you know, now if, if I hadn't have had a miscarriage, I would not have met these two, you know, wonderful beings that we are cohabitating with. And even if they, you know, go back to their moms, I still will not have regretted it because I love them so much that I want what's best for them. And if what's best for them is to be with their moms, then I want that. And that feels like a really new and fresh way of loving someone. I love that they want to end it in the way that they previously planned. The first version of this book, a year ago, was conceived in the grief of miscarriage and no longer having access to the father that they wanted for their child. So originally they wanted to end it with Molly's character getting pregnant and having gotten pregnant easily, like by relaxing on a dirty couch a sort of wish fulfillment. And they still want to honor that grief because the grief has shifted 
but it hasn't gone away. But also, new factors have been introduced into their lives, the writing of romance novel together, and taking care of two foster children together. They've become more hopeful about all of the different ways that they might be able to make a family. And I felt hopeful also about global warming. I mean, even writing those, um, you know, writing about the fire and the destruction, you know, thinking about, and I like, you know, I did research on seeds, how seeds work that are, you know, in fire prone areas. And that made me think a lot about, you know, I don't know why, but I just thought about like succession planning. I feel like the seeds are like succession planning. Um, you know, there's kind of a built in system for things to intentionally survive the destruction and nature did that. And, you know, in my spiritual belief, like God is nature and nature is God. And like God did that. And that makes me feel hopeful for all of us here on this fragile planet that we appear to be fucking up. I mean, we're not just appear to be fucking up. We are fucking up. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we like, I'm obsessed with the composting and like, I throw away food scraps now sometimes because I'm overwhelmed by the composting because our lives are so chaotic, you know, and how, how much, how much energy and resources go into raising kids, you know, but you're recycling these kids. We are. Yes, that's true. We're composting a lot of difficult human experience and growing some sprouts out of it. Speaking of compost, maybe we've talked about this in previous interviews, but Olivia's dad, unfortunately, died very tragically a few years ago of a heart attack. And her parents were living in Miami at the time. And um, <clears throat> we flew down there. It was March in Boston. And we flew down to Miami, which was, like, sunny and beautiful. And it was just a very surreal experience. And our priest called us from Cambridge and prayed with us while we were there in the days after he died. And she said something to extent that like the grief that we were feeling is compost for love and that God wastes nothing. And I think that like that more than anything else is my theology that like everything is, everything can be compost for love and that God wastes nothing and that we can live by that tenant too. We can also waste nothing. Um, and that had like a very profound effect on me for sure. Gross. What if having a kid turned me into an optimist? Hi, Vanessa. It's Stephanie calling. I'm just calling to say that I know that you have many children in your life whom you love um, and who give you a lot of joy. But I hope that you'll have a child because any child that you would parent and raise is a person I would want to see in the world. Talk to you soon. Bye. Molly and Olivia finished writing their story. In the end, it's Olivia's character who got pregnant, not Molly's. Their characters find their way back to each other and begin building a family in a way that they never expected to. It honors their grief, their wish fulfillment, and their love of the family that they have now. It's happy. But I had something that I wanted to talk to them about that you may have noticed has been on my mind a little bit. So I called them from my bedroom one night and got them on the phone one more time. 
I just read Sheila Hetty's book, Motherhood, and one one of the lines is, whether or not I want to have children is the biggest secret I keep from myself. And that is how I feel. I'm like, I must know on some level, but it is the definition of ambivalence for me. Like part of me wants it with my whole body, like in my vagina. And then the other part of me is like, oh my God, it will destroy me. Like it, it will kill me. Not the pregnancy, but the like tedium and the finances and the like, what if I don't like it? And like, what if it's an asshole? And like, won't it be boring? It's all those things and it will destroy you. I mean, I feel like it has destroyed and remade me a hundred times over, like almost on a daily basis because there are moments where it feels so hard and impossible. Like when we had both of our foster sons, when they were like a year and a half and like six months old, um, there were some Saturdays where it was like two o'clock and I just literally could not imagine making it through the rest of the day. I didn't think anyone was going to die, but I just like could not picture like six hours in the future still being like intact. Yeah. I think for me, like despite for the past, you know, five years being on this, this journey, so to speak of trying to build our family and have kids, I still have deep ambivalence. Mm -hmm. Like I still have, cold feet in a way. And there are a lot of days where even though I love our foster son enormously, um, yeah, there are days when, when it's like super tiring. And I think not just tiring, but like where to like wits and yeah, wits end, and also where I feel like, man, I've lost, I've lost some parts of myself and I miss those parts of myself. And not that I can't, I mean, that's part of where I'm at right now. I think, and my anxiety is kind of like, who am I now? Yeah. Um, so I think the ambivalence Continues. doesn't end with having the kid or not having the kid. I think it's just it's part of the human ex- experience, maybe. In the 12th grade, we had to go to a local elementary school for an assembly. And we 12th graders each got paired with a kindergartner. Eve Peters, a girl in my class, remarked how good I was with the five-year-old and that I'd be a great mom one day. I said, oh, I do not want to have kids. She said, that's so cool. It never occurred to me that I could not have kids. It had never occurred to me that I should have kids. Now, when I hold a baby, I have no idea how I feel. That's not true. I know exactly how I feel. I know all 15 of my deeply ambivalent feelings. Hi, Vanessa. This is your friend and producer, Ariana. I have no children, and I'm not planning on having any children. But I can so vividly imagine you being a mom and having a little daughter running around, and the amount of love that you could give to that child. I see you give so much love to your dog, and your stepdaughters, and your many godchildren, and your little nephew, and I know that you have that much love to give to a child, and I think having a child would enrich your life. 
That being said, I think you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to make this decision now. I know that you're feeling like this is like close to the last time that maybe you can make the choice to have a biological child. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I think that the love you have to give to a child doesn't necessarily need to be to a biological child, that you could adopt a child down the line and that you would love him or her as much as you would love any child that came out of your body. And I think having a kid is not a decision that you can undo, but not having a kid right now is a decision that you could undo down the line when you feel more sure, more settled. Um, And I love you. And I think whatever you choose will be right. Bye. I am tabling this issue for now. No more opinions are being solicited. Data has been collected. The earth is getting warmer. One of Olivia and Molly's kids made his way back to his mom and because of their love and support was able to do that safely. And I met Olivia and Molly's foster son and we snuggled and Olivia took a picture and he and I made quite a cute pair. Lucky kid getting to live in that house. Now for this week's assignment from Julia Quinn. Hi, Julia. Hey! So it is now time for our next assignment. What do you have in store to torture our writers this week? Dialogue. Ooh, okay. Your people have to talk to each other. I I suppose you could write a romance with nothing but smoldering hot gazes, but I think people need to talk. I agree. I agree. I'm a pretty taggy person, and for me, it's the easiest part of writing, and I think it's probably because I talk too much. Um, (laughs) I know from talking from other writers that that's not always the case, that people do find dialogue difficult. My biggest tip when writing dialogue is read it out loud. So people have just written their meet-cute. Should they be practicing writing dialogue by having— each of their characters go and talk to a friend about the meeting. You know, that's a good idea. Or you could be going back and and working within the dialogue in your meet cute. It may be expanding the meet cute. But this is the one assignment where I really want people to think about dialogue and how people actually talk. And I do have some tips on this. The first tip is to remember that your characters are talking to each other and not to the reader. I think we've all seen this sort of thing in a book. And my favorite kind of mock example is, you know, you have two sisters and they're talking and one says, oh my gosh, remember when mom and dad died in that plane crash and we had to go live with great aunt Sally? And the other one goes, yes, it was so horrible. And then she died and they put us in foster care. And then the next one goes, oh, and yes. And then we were separated and it was so hard. Okay, they wouldn't say this to each other because they already know all this. You want to make sure you don't do an info dump. So first, remember that. Another thing that I often say to people is think a lot about catchphrases and speech rhythms and patterns. Like, say you have a character who has a certain, you know, phrase or words that they use a lot. Like, I I wrote a character a while back who happened to begin a lot of sentences by saying, I say, comma, blah, 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 blah. I didn't even realize I was doing this with this character until— 
an editor looked at a different book of mine, saw a character doing that, circled it, and said, this is what Henry says. And so what it occurred to me is that if I'm going to give either of my characters or any of my characters, because it can be secondary characters too, a very distinctive way of talking, whether it is speech patterns or sayings or curse words or something, I'm probably not going to have anybody else in the book do that, which isn't entirely realistic because certainly she wouldn't be the only person to ever begin a sentence with, I say, but it just sort of reinforces the characterization without it being knocked over the reader's head. I mean, nobody's going to finish that book and say, you know, I really knew who Henry was because she began every sentence with, I say. Hopefully they won't notice that. But maybe when they finish the book, she will just seem like a somewhat more fully realized character. So this week's assignment is to go back and look at your meet cute and try to really create some strong dialogue between your two main characters. Good luck. And Julia, we'll talk to you in just a couple weeks. Great. See you then. And one last opinion from my mom. Hi, mommy. It's mom. I'm answering your question as to whether or not I think you should have a child. You know my answer is yes. Not strictly for selfish reasons that I would love to have another grandchild, but also there is nothing like a mother's love for a child, and I think you deserve to experience this. Um, Never in history was there a time when people said, how can you not do this at this time? Historically, the Cold War, the Vietnam War, there's always something to say no to. But I want you to know that whatever you decide, I will be there to support you every way I can. I love you, man. Bye. If you want to read Olivia and Molly's story, Wildfire, or if you want to share your writing assignments, go to our website, hotandbotheredrompod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Rompod and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Our romance teacher is Julia Quinn. We are a co-production of Not Sorry Productions and Spoke Media. We're executive produced and co-written by me, Vanessa Zoltan, and Ariana Nettleman. Our production team is Chelsea Erson, Julia Argy, Bridget Goggin, Janielle Kastner, Caroline Hamilton, Jenna Hannum, Will Short, Alexander Mark, and Evan Arnett. Our music is from Firstcom and by Nick Bull. Special thanks this week to my dear, dear friends, Matt, Rachel, Molly, Rosie, Joanne, Kim, Stephanie, David, Ariana, and my mom. Thanks, mom. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.